I grew up in a small town of 8,000 people in rural Indiana. My wife, Jennifer, uh, grew up on a farm in Indiana. So our expectation was that you only go to one church for your whole life. Uh, but we got married uh, after college and uh, corporate America moved us five times across four different states. So we experienced a lot about church hunting. About a year ago, uh, Amy and Todd Nichols invited us to UBC. And uh, on, on the way home, uh, I asked Jenny, uh, how did you feel? And Jenny said, uh, well, I certainly feel like I was fed the Word of God this morning. She said, what do you think? And I said, well, this mission of helping people to know Jesus personally and then to make Christ's salvation known to as many people as we can, I think that was like 100% on target from everything that God is asking us to do in the Bible. So that is certainly the most worthy use of our time and our effort and our experience in the body of Christ. So let's try. Well, over the last year, we've been hugely blessed uh, by that. I talked to Pastor Jason, kind of begged him and said, you know, if I could do something, uh, especially for the um, make him known near, I'd like to just go around the neighborhood and ask people what they're doing because some of the neighbors have asked, you know, what's going on down there on the corner? So we put together a little communication here. Uh, it was just a one-page flyer uh, where we introduced those things. So on Friday, um, I took the little flyer and I walked south of the church all day. And I think I visited something like 320 homes and um, either dropped off or communicated a flyer to them. Then on Saturday, I started at the church and walked north uh, of the church and uh, I did about 410 uh, people that I visited and it was an absolute coup. On the second day, uh, on the, the north side of town, I was in a neighborhood and this guy saw me passing out flyers, so it comes walking aggressively out of his house and uh, very belligerently said, uh, can I help you? And I said, uh, I'm, I'm not here selling anything. I just said, God is at work in the neighborhood. So I'm just going around and communicating to people and, and, and sharing what God's got going on down on the corner. He was a little taken aback, but he allowed me to give him a flyer. And I just stood there while he read the flyer then he started asking me a question. So we must have talked for five to 10 minutes. And at the end of that, he turns to me and looks me in the eye and said, may God bless you and what you're doing. I had to laugh. We go from, I want to rip your head off to may God bless you in about five minutes. So it was a joy to go out and eat our neighborhood. The excitement of the Make Him Known mission, oh my goodness, you know, find a way to get plugged into this because given the, the strength of this church family, uh, it would be a travesty if you missed out on that. So you just can't miss the opportunity. What else would you spend your time in serving God and at the same time uh, being able to spread the gospel?
I love Jim's story and his enthusiasm. And uh, those of you of a, a generation of mine, well, you grew up passing out flyers for the church. Do you remember the old days before people took your head off for going to their house? And I uh, just so much appreciate Jim's enthusiasm and, and, and his uh, courage to do that. And I just want to echo his challenge to all of us to be involved. And you don't have to go handing out flowers. Flowers. <laughs> That'd be good, but uh, <laughs> handing out flyers. Um, but we're also, you know, giving to the, to the campaign as well, the initiative. And just so grateful for all of you that have stepped up and been involved in that. And once more, if you have not been involved, you can go to the website, to the orange banner, and, and, and still give for that. Make your commitment known. Uh, next Sunday is a special celebration Sunday where we're going to talk about what God has done through the second phase of the initiative. And we're also going to have what's called the second big give offering, where you can give ahead if you like, uh, just uh, to make that happen. Also, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper and baptism. Um, So it's going to be a full, great celebratory day. If you've never been baptized and the Lord's been nudging at your heart, uh, you've been converted, but never done taking that step of, of obedience, you can still uh, become a part of next week's baptism. So just go again, go to the website. Uh, there's a next steps uh, place you can uh, click and baptism, and we'll get a hold of you and make that happen. Thus endeth the elder announcements for today. Hey, today's a day for the whole family to be here. So I thought, you know what? Why don't I start with a story? It's story time with Mr. Scott. Um, but uh, actually, it, it, is a, well, it is a story by Max Lucado. Some of you have kids' books by Max Lucado. And, and this is a true story, and I just wanted to read it for you. It happened every Friday evening almost without fail. Old Ed would come strolling down the beach to the, his favorite pier. Clutched in his bony hand was a bucket of shrimp. Ed would walk out to the end of the pier where it seemed he almost had the world to himself. Everyone was gone except for a few joggers on the beach. And standing out at the edge of that pier, Ed was alone with his thoughts and his bucket of shrimp. Before long, he was no longer alone because up in the sky were a thousand dots and they were screeching and squawking, winging their way down toward that lanky frame standing at the end of the pier. Before long, dozens of seagulls had enveloped him, their rings fluttering and flapping wildly, and Ed would stand there tossing shrimp to the hungry birds. And as he does, if you listen closely, you can hear him say with a smile, thank you, thank you. In a few short minutes, the bucket's empty. But Ed doesn't leave. He stands there lost in thought as though transported to another time and place. Now, to the onlookers on the beach, he's just another old codger. He's lost in his old weird world, feeding seagulls with a bucket full of shrimp. His name is Eddie Rickenbacker. Those of you from an Air Force background might recognize that name. He was a famous hero in World War I, and then he was also a flyer in World War II. And on one of his missions across the Pacific, he and his seven-member crew went down in the ocean. Miraculously, they all survived 
They crawled out of their plane and they climbed into a life raft. Captain Rickenbacker and his crew floated for days on those rough waters of the Pacific. They fought the sun. They fought sharks. Most of all, they fought hunger and thirst. And by the eighth day, all their food had ran out. No food, no water. They were hundreds of miles from land. No one knew where they were. In fact, they probably thought they were dead. The men needed a miracle. They tried to nap. Eddie leaned back and pulled his cap over his eyes, and suddenly he felt something land on top. It was a seagull. Old Ed would later describe he was perfectly still, planning his next move. The flash of his hand and a squawk of the goal. He grabbed it and uh, he killed it. Uh, and, and he and the starving crew made a meal of it. A very little, slight meal for eight men, but they used his intestines for bait. And with it, they caught fish. And that gave them food and more bait. And that cycle continued with that simple survival technique. They could endure 24 days at sea until they were found. Eddie Reckenbacher lived many years beyond that ordeal, but he never forgot the sacrifice of that first life-saving seagull. And he never stopped saying, thank you. Those memories changed his life. And that's why almost every Friday night, he would walk to the end of the pier with a bucket full of shrimp and a heart full of gratitude. Good story for Thanksgiving week. And it's a good story to introduce our passage today in the book of Psalms. Last week, we talked about how we can have a life without lack, and a world full of want, Psalm 23. Today, we're going to talk about how we can live a life of gratitude in a world full of distraction, how we can be grateful. And we're going to go to Psalm 103. So turn your Bibles to Psalm 103, where David will take us into the pier, into the end of the pier of our lives. And we can be grateful to the Lord for what he's done. Psalm 103. I'm going to jump around a little bit. So we're just going to start with the first verse as we learn how we remember. And then second, what can we remember? How we remember and what we remember. Verse 1. How we remember, David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, you got to know David's rhetorical strategy, how, how he wrote this. Um, it's unusual in the book of Psalms. Um, David would often, when he wrote a psalm, he would talk directly to God. For example, Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts. He's talking right to God. Other places, he talks to us, and he calls us to worship God. Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But that's not 
what's going on in Psalm 103? Who's he talking to? He's not talking to us, the readers. He's not talking to God. He's talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul. While other psalms call for the assembled faithful to praise God, here David's urging himself to worship. What David is doing is not that unusual. He's having a conversation with himself. Do you find yourself doing that? Having a conversation with yourself? Let me give you a little tip. When you're having an inner dialogue, it's better to talk to yourself than it is to listen to yourself. One old Baptist preacher said, much of our unhappiness comes from the fact that we listen to ourselves rather than talk to ourselves. Those inner conversations, which is the greatest, largest conversation we ever will have. What David is doing by talking to himself is actually engaging in a biblical practice called meditation. Meditation. He's not really reasoning with himself. He's preaching to himself. This is not an essay. It's not a lecture. It's a sermon. In fact, what David is doing is carrying out the instructions of the very first psalm in the book of Psalms. Psalm 1. It reads, Blessed is the man. Oh, how tremendously happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalms 2 verses through Psalms 150 is the answer to Psalm 1, teaching us how to meditate on the law of the Lord. Now, I got to make a little aside here and make a disclaimer. There's another kind of meditation you hear in our world that comes from Eastern religions. That's a different kind of meditation. Uh, my wife and I have been watching recently a movie called 13 Lives. I don't know if you've seen it or remember the story of a soccer coach in Thailand and his 12 players who got lost in a cave. And they were there for days and days and days. Well, that soccer coach had been trained as a Buddhist monk. And he led those boys in meditation where what they would do was just clear all their anxious thoughts out of their head and try to focus on one thing. Okay? It was almost to, to, to just not think of anything so they wouldn't become anxious. That's not what David is talking about. Biblical meditation is not anti-rational. It's completely rational. In fact, in Psalm 103, David is breaking down the truths of God and his benefits. He's looking at them from all sorts of angles, with the eyes of a theologian and the pen of a poet. One writer has described meditation, biblical meditation, as this. Disciplined remembrance disciplined remembrance. It's the practice of interpreting present circumstances 
in the light of God's faithfulness in the past. Learning to look at life now based on what God has done for us in the past. One thing meditation takes is purposeful and intentional attention. That goes against everything in our being these days. Uh, One writer said that we have a disease called continuous partial attention. Now, I didn't have this up here necessarily for an illustration, but it fits. Okay. By the way, this is not evil. I used it to make an announcement. It's okay. Yet, but, talking about partial attention, how often have you gone to this little tool intending to do something, 30 minutes later, you find yourself forgetting what you intended to do, right? The disease of partial attention. If we're going to be like David, and we're going to have disciplined remembrance of the things of the Lord, it's going to take intentional attention. We meditate by remembering. Look at verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Somebody said once that the Psalms are a counseling casebook. They're not a textbook. Rather, they lay out all the various situations of life, all the conditions of the human heart, and what we're supposed to do in the midst of them. Psalm 103 is one of those psalms pointing out how to handle life and its circumstances. And how do we do that? By not forgetting the benefits of God. Or to put it negatively, one of the main problems we have in facing life is that we forget what God has done for us. Now, I have to correct a, a, a false understanding of remembrance here because we, in, in our world, our Western world, when we think of remembering, we think about tests and exams. Okay, I, I, I live in a world of tests and exams and midterms and finals. And so when you talk about remembering something, you think of, okay, it's staying up late the night before the test, Okay, cramming information in my head with a dose of Red Bull on top, and I just, okay, and I get up the next morning, or should I say I just get dressed the next morning, and I walk over, I take the test at nine, I ace it, and I'll never forget it again, amen? That is not what the Bible's talking about and remembering. Okay? It's a much thicker view, a fuller view of remembering. To remember something in the Bible is this, to have a life-controlling consciousness of something. To remember in the Bible is not cramming information in your head. It's focusing and remembering and meditating on something that will change the way you live. John Newton, old preacher, hymn writer, in London, explained it like this. I'm going to kind of update his illustration. He says, suppose you go into a room. So for us, you go into your room, and, and your friend's sitting there on the sofa, engrossed in his apps, okay, checking things out. And all of a sudden, you see on his arm a hairy, ugly tarantula. And it's slowly grinding up. And you go, Phil! 
on your arm is a big, hairy, ugly tarantula. Oh, okay, yeah, big, hairy, ugly tarantula up my arm. Ten seconds later, Phil jumps up off the couch. I start shaking. It's a big, hairy tarantula. Now, let me ask you a question, okay? What's the difference between the first and second response? I said it twice, right? Phil said it twice. The second time, he actually heard it in his innermost being. The first time, it was just an intellectual idea. But the second time, he had taken it all the way downtown. All the way down to it affected the way he lived. He understood the consequences, the ramifications of a tarantula on his arm. He thought it out. And he went up, galvanized into action. You can see where this is going. So John Newton said this. If you say, I believe God loves me, but you are still afraid, you're still despondent, you're still worried about life, you're like the guy sitting on the couch who says, oh yeah, there's a big hairy spider. No, you don't. You don't understand. Meditation is taking the truth downtown. It's praying your heart hot with the truth of God until it catches fire. Have you ever um, said that you'll never do something again, but go back and do it? Uh, Sunday nights are, I'll just a little confession. I have to go to work on Monday, right? Just like many of you, most of you. So Sunday nights are hard. I got to kind of transition my way from the weekend into the work week. And one of the things I have found that it's very helpful, you might want to try this, Grater's Ice Cream. That helps me transition. It does. But there's a problem because, I, you know, the only way you can eat graters is straight out of the pint, right? And, and, and there's a problem when I do that. Um, I'll, I'll, it tastes good, okay? But Monday morning, I wake up with a tummy ache. And I'll say, Scott, you don't, don't, that's not helpful, okay? Don't eat a pint of graters before you go to bed. I'm not going to do it again. And I, I'm really committed on Monday morning because my tummy's hurting. Come about next Sunday, you know, I, we eat a lot of times at City Barbecue. And what's next door to City Barbecue? It's like the, the Lord intends it, doesn't he? And, and, but I don't get the same kind. Instead of getting black raspberry chocolate chip, I get mocha chip. Okay? So that, that's got to be better, right? And so, you know, and I'm only going to take just half half the pint, right? That's my intentions, but you know the rest of the story, right? In my head, I was never going to do it again, but in my heart, it never got there. It didn't change the way I lived my life. David is working on his remembering by meditating, so it changed his life. We have a lot of things working against our memories, a lot of distractions, circumstances of life, society and social voices, even sin and the lies of Satan often expressed in self-talk. I was talking to a friend a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about being distracted, 
becoming anxious. And I really didn't want to bring this up today, and I'm just going to do it with an illusion. I'm not going to come out and say it. But there may be something that happened yesterday in your life that's distracting you. That's all I'm going to say. And my friend who I was talking to, he actually travels on the other side. So, man, he's probably feeling good today. But, I, 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 and he said, I mean, he was serious. He said, I, Scott, I just get so convicted because I get so anxious about the victories and losses of this team. I just, I just, I just can't even focus on the Lord. And I said to him, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. I have the same feelings. I have the same distractions. I, every year and this weekend, I pray that I would not get caught up in it, but I can't help it. But I said to my friend, I said, listen. Here's something the Lord's taught me about distractions. The way you learn not to be distracted is not to focus on the distractions, but to focus on the attractions of the Lord. In other words, you don't become less distracted by trying not to be distracted. You become less distracted by becoming more attracted to the benefits of God. That's what David is doing. Now, I'm giving you a lot of preacher speak, okay? It's not bad. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes preacher speak gives us a lot of motivation, but not much instruction on how to do it. So I'm going to change that today, okay? I'm going to put my professor's hat on, and I want to teach you how to meditate on the benefits of the Lord. It's something that I learned a number of years ago that's been life-changing for me. And it's called tax, T-A-C-S. I first heard it in a sermon by Tim Keller, but he was actually talking about Martin Luther's prayer life. And Martin Luther came up with this. How do you connect your Bible reading and your prayer life in a way where you learn to meditate on the things of the Lord? It's a real simple thing. T is for teaching. You read your Bible, wherever the Lord has you, whatever reading plan you have, I would encourage you to have a reading plan or you'll get stuck in the same verses all the time. If you don't have one, contact the church, we'll help you. But you, you, you read something in the Bible that morning or that afternoon or that evening, whenever you do it, and you read it, and, and God teaches you something in that passage. Maybe it's just one idea. Now, I, I tend to like to journal about it, but, but you look at what God's teaching you, and then A is adoration. You thank the Lord for that. What he's taught you about himself, about his world, you thank him for that issue. And what's happening now is not a monologue, but a dialogue between you and the Lord. And the Lord started it with his word. That's important, okay? He starts the discussion, but then we respond with gratitude for what he's teaching us. Then we get to see confession. After we have thought about it and thanked God about it, the Spirit's probably pricking our heart right now, right? About something in our life in this area where we're falling short. So we ask and we confess that to the Lord. And then S is what you probably would guess, supplication, bringing your requests. By the way, there's nothing wrong with bringing requests to the Lord. Jesus tells us to do that. But don't start there. Start with God beginning the conversation. 
And he will draw you into meditation, a dialogue with him. That's how you remember purposefully, intentionally. And that is what David does in Psalm 103. So let's just practice a little bit in Psalm 103. I'm just going to point out a couple of things, okay, and how David does this. Look at verse 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. As I read that, something that stands out to me is in verse 4 when, it, when David says, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. You can't uh, be around our world these days and not think of crown and think of England, right? We had a queen who passed away, and we have a new king. And as part of that, they haven't done it yet, but it's coming, they will crown the new king. And they have used in England the same crown for over 360 years. It's called St. Edward's crown. It weighs almost five pounds, stands a foot high, Solid gold, 444 jewels. It's worth this $4 million, but be, given its historical and its symbolic value, it's priceless. Now, what's the crown do? It bestows honor on the person. It, it gives them identity and status, right? That's what David knew that, by the way. David was a king. So when he uses the image of a crown, and this is what he says, we are crowned with God's love and mercy, what's he saying to us? We have status. We have a place based on nothing that we have done, but all on God's mercy and love for us. That's why we matter. That's the teaching. And you can see right away how that goes into adoration. Lord, King of kings, you who have all crowns at your disposal, you have placed on our head, each of us, a crown. Not made of gold or priceless jewels, but made of your love and your mercy. And how did you get that crown for us? By sending your son, who gave up his crown, only to get a crown of thorns and to die in our place. That's adoration. Then you get to confession. Lord, you know my heart. You know that I so, I'm so desperate for status. I, 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 I want people to recognize me for who I am. And I want, I want to be seen by men and women as somebody special. And that concerns me. And in a way, it, it overtakes my life. It distracts me from you. Forgive me for trying to find my identity and my achievements rather than those of Jesus. That's confession. Right? And then you start to ask him, ask him for his help. That's, that's one idea. Let's go to the second uh, example. Verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The, that word steadfast love shows up a number of times in Psalm 103. 
It's the Hebrew word hesed. And it's one of the most important words in the whole Old Testament because God himself uses that word to describe himself again and again and again as faithful, as covenant-keeping. One of the most important examples of this is found in Exodus 34. If you go back to your Bible stories and the people of Israel, after they got out of Egypt and after they crossed the Red Sea, they were at the mountain where Moses had gone to get the Ten Commandments and the people of Israel started freaking out. And they forgot what God had done for them, His benefits, and they started making two golden calves to worship instead of God. God wanted to judge them, but Moses spoke up on their behalf, so God stayed faithful to them. And here's what he says to Moses in Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him, before Moses, and he proclaimed. This is God talking about himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So what's the teaching here? The teaching is God's love and his faithfulness is in direct contrast to his people's lack of faithfulness. The contrast between God and us is played throughout Scripture. That's the teaching. Even when we're unlovable, he loves us. Feeling rejected, feeling unloved, he abounds in his steadfast love. That's the teaching. So then we adore him. We adore him for that much love he's given to us who are so undeserving. In fact, he did it with the ultimate sacrifice of his own son. But then we have to confess, Lord, I often forget those benefits. In fact, I often treat people like I should have been treated, and I can't forgive because I've forgotten your boundless love. Lord, help me to be a loving person as you love me. One more, down to verse 18. One more benefit. David writes, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. There's actually a the before the all, it just doesn't come out in English. David says his kingdom rules over the all. <laughs> it's the totality of God's rule. He rules over everything in the universe. Nothing, what David says here, here's the teaching, lies outside of that scope. Nothing you are facing lies outside God's rule. No disease, no heartache, no lack of funds, no circumstance, no distress lies outside the rule of God. His kingdom is established. It's secure against any rival. Are you feeling anxious? Do you feel like your world is in a brink of meltdown? David says, remember, he rules over the all. Adoration. God, nothing lies outside of you. In fact, we learn more than even David knew that in the end, you will fulfill your plan. 
What you started back in Genesis 3.15, your seed will defeat Satan once and for all, and you will reign forever. Lord, I confess that I'm anxious. I confess that I worry. I confess that the needs of my life consume me, and I forget your rule. Help me to trust you. We live in a world full of conversations, lots of talk, news shows, podcasts, tweets, Instagram, lots of self-talk even. And all those voices are circulating in our head, and we become confused and distracted. David's teaching us one important truth, one important discipline, one important focus to talk to ourselves by remembering and meditating on the benefits of the Lord. And let me tell you the life-changing lesson inside the life-changing lesson. Even when we forget, and by the way, we're going to forget. Even when we forget, He does not forget us. Isaiah says it this way. But Zion said, Israel said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Have you ever found yourself there? God responds in verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Rhetorical question, of course not. But even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Would it cost God to crown us with his love and mercy? Would it cost Jesus his heavenly crown and to wear an earthly crown of thorns? Would it cost Jesus to welcome home his prodigals or the father to welcome home his prodigals? Jesus had to be forsaken by the father. What does it cost God to remove our transgressions? Jesus had to take all of our transgression on his back and deal with them on the cross. How do you live a life of gratitude in a world full of distractions? By remembering that you have been remembered and what it costs to be remembered. Lord, thank you so much for David's hymn, and for its reminder to us of the benefits you give us. Oh, Lord, we're so distracted. Lord, so many silly things distract us, like games, but also heavy things like family, disease, stress, struggle, work. Those things distract us too. And Lord, even in the midst of the greatest of distractions, David tells us, you tell us through David to remember what you have done. To remember in a way that it changes our heart and not just our head. Lord, encourage us this week to practice meditation. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.